Uh, as we continue on this theme of confessing our sins, I want you to notice it's a little, this is a little uh, foreshadowing uh, into our text this morning. I want you to see who's doing all the work in this verse. Like confessing our sins is it's not a lot of work. But he is faithful to ju- and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've ever had to, maybe if you're a parent in the room and you've had a kid who's been rolling around in the mud or like what happened in our house a couple weeks ago um, that we had, I will spare you the real graphic details, but the stomach flu made a visit to my house. You, can, you know that cleansing a child from all unrighteousness is a lot of work. God is the one who's doing all the work, and he does all the work in our lives. Uh, this morning, we're going to uh, continue on. We're going to be looking here in the, in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And, you know, I don't know what your um, perspective is of, especially us preachers who, who get to stand and share God's word with you. Um, I, you know, when I sit in uh, the pew and I listen to Pastor Jay, I see a guy who is a real expert uh, in what he's talking about. I don't know if you have that perspective when I'm talking, but you should um, but what ends up happening is I get to prep for, prep for a sermon like I did this week, and I come across, there's so many incredible resources, people significantly smarter than I am, who have written and, and, and shared on, on the entirety of Scripture. And I read something this week that just, because I felt like I had read our passage so many times in my life, and there was something that was just kind of, it was a fresh thing for me. So I hope I can bring that uh, to you uh, this morning in our message. Um, but I, I just want you to know that we're, we're learning together in this process and learning and relearning and remembering how merciful God is toward us. So before we jump into the scripture this morning, that's what I like to do is would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, you are faithful and just. Not like kind of faithful and mostly just, but you are the embodiment of faithfulness and justice. You are, you are just in a way that calls sin exactly what it is. There is no playing the shell game and moving and, 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 and hedging our sins with you, God. You know exactly who we are. But in the same way, we know exactly who you are, that you are the faithful one. You are the one who forgives sins. You are the one who cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. God, would you make that known in a very real way for us this morning? That, God, you are the merciful one. God, as we hear from your word this morning, I pray that only truth would pass through my lips this morning. God, that it would be your words that we hear today. 
that you would impress it upon our minds, that we would understand what you have for us, God, that it would sink into our hearts, that it would, that it would affect a change in how we see you and how we live. And God, would you then infuse our hands and our feet to not keep this mercy to ourselves like the wicked servant, God, but to share this mercifulness and graciousness, especially with the hard people in our lives. So God, be with us in this time. Speak to us now. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 18. If you have your Bibles with you or if you want to follow along uh, on your phone or, or whatever, if not, it is going to be right up here on the screens. Luke 18, starting in verse 9, reading in Jesus' name. He also, by the way, he is Jesus in this case. He also told this parable. I'm sure this doesn't describe any of us, so you can just forget this next part. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Again, I'm confident there's no one in this room. We'll just go on to the next verse. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here ends our reading for today. Um, what I would like to do, uh, Renee, actually, is let's go back right up to the top, verses 9 and 10. I want to start here. We're going to work our way through uh, the text this morning. And it says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So I want to set the scene, right? We're, we're here, we're in the temple. They're not the only two people in, in the room. The room is probably full as people are kind of coming in and out throughout their worship through the day. And Jesus is going to point out to us here that what Jesus sees is different than what we see. What Jesus sees is different than what the people in that temple saw and perceived what was happening that day. When you think of the word Pharisee, uh, like what, what kind of images come to mind for you? When we hear the word, I don't know if we don't necessarily, I'll say the church, I don't know how much we use it a little bit. Um, some, it's always like a derogatory term, right? It's like, it's never a positive thing to be labeled a Pharisee. If you've been labeled one, you're like, awesome. Like they were, that was not, they were not trying to be nice. Um, 
I, I think the word Pharisee, we tend to associate it with the word hypocrite a lot. Someone who uh, has no problem swinging the full weight of the law, but like really don't want it swung at themselves. You know what I mean? Right? This word hypocrite. But what's really interesting about the Pharisees of Jesus' time is that they followed the rule of the law to the, to the nth degree, right? And so this word Pharisee comes out of, out of the Hebrew, and it really means to be set apart. And, and that was what they were known for in their culture, is that they would follow the law of Moses like to the furthest extent that they could. And then when, like, when they got tired of that, then they just wrote like more laws for them to follow. They were like the ultimate rule followers. I don't know about you. I don't know if I've ever been described as the ultimate rule follower. Um, you can ask my teachers that, but uh, it's not how I typically get described. But that's what the Pharisees were. They were the ultimate rule followers. They were actually kind of held in some esteem in their society for, for being that. And they were, they were connected with the political power at the time. So this, this religious adherence and political par, uh, power kind of went hand in hand. This was a powerful person who was known for being like the most moral. On the other end of the spectrum we had the tax collector. Uh, now, I don't know how you, if you know how, how taxes were collected at that time. Um, if you've ever had, um, you know, if you've ever had a, a, a negative thought against the IRS, uh, the tax system in Rome was worse. Uh, one of the things that they would do is that they would hire local people um, who, who would bid for the job as tax collector. And you had to be an ambitious person who would like stop at nothing to earn this job, to keep this job of collecting taxes for Rome. One of the things that it would, it would cause a person to do is because you were local, this was your neighbor who was the tax collector. And the tax collector would stand out on the road and he would see you going to work or going here and be like, oh yeah, they haven't paid their taxes. Uh, and then they would go and to make it worth their while would give you a higher number than what you actually owe so that they could pocket it for themselves and, and work their way up a status ladder. These people would, would cheat and lie and steal and extort to their own gain. So on one end, we have this Pharisee. And on the other end, we have this tax collector. But again, I want to say what we see is different than what Jesus sees. And so this Pharisee comes to pray. The Pharisee standing prayed these things concerning himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, greedy, unjust, adulterous, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I acquire. I mean, this guy is really, he is really reciting his spiritual resume for everyone to hear. And unfortunately, like we see that 
in today's society as well. I, you, can, you can find it in, in popular Christian literature and, and Christian music, this, this idea that, that I play a small part in God's salvation for me. Like, we, sometimes we convince ourselves that I get forgiven, that God forgives me because gosh darn it, I'm worth it to him. We think about, right, we think about this all the time, is that, that, for, like, that God has chosen to forgive me because I'm going to give him a great return on his investment. But what we see is different than what Christ sees. This Pharisee is really trying to make sure that everyone sees He's saying, basically, Lord, in case you haven't noticed, there are some great things about me that you should know. Now, if you see in, in his verse, uh, in his prayer, there's a, a pronoun that jumps out. It's a lot of the word I. That I am not like the extortioner. I am not like the unjust. I am not like the adulterer. And I'm definitely not like that guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see, this is about what, in his eyes, what the Pharisee does for God instead of what God does for the Pharisee. Next verse. But the tax collector, having stood far away, would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now we see a man who knows his condition. Notice how he approaches God here as, as, as maybe many of us do, hopefully many of us do, begging for forgiveness. He comes before God not just as a man who has sinned, but in the full identity that I am a sinner. He refuses to look up. And not look up like he's not, it's not a, it's not a, uh, he's looking down and he's not, he's not trying to like look up this way. What, he's, what, he, what that really means is that he's not trying to look up to find someone worse than him. And a pastor said to me, uh, or preaching a sermon once, that if you're not convinced that you're the greatest sinner in the room, then what you're also admitting is that you're really like not in need of God's mercy as much as other people. Wow. This man looks down, he says, forgive me, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was born a sinner, and he has confirmed his status every day since. And like with the Pharisee, we noticed the pronouns I. Here, we see the pronoun me. It's not about what he has done. It is about what God does for him. He does not justify his past actions. He does not, he does not come to, to carefully explain away, well, like the, the tax system is, is crooked and I had no choice. And 
He just simply lays his sin condition at the altar. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The next verse says, I tell you, this man went down to his house, having been justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be put to shame, but the one who humbles himself will be lifted up. See, God acts contrary to human expectations. The Pharisee expected favor, and instead he gets condemnation. The tax collector expected condemnation, but instead gets mercy. And, and, and nothing has changed. It's still the sinner who leaves justified. You see, as we talk about repentance, true repentance doesn't show anything about me. True repentance shows exactly how God acts. True repentance is all about him. You see, God could care less about human standards or scales. And instead, repenting to God confronts us with our true nature. What was the line? It was, surrender now, our lives laid down. I give you everything. We don't have a lot to bring to the table. And yet God is still merciful to you and to me. See, repentance can be kind of a, and maybe you're feeling it now, can be kind of a heavy subject. This, this looking in the mirror and seeing who we really are. It's Paul in the New Testament who says that we are, we are to die to ourselves, right? We're ourselves died so that, that we may be raised again in Christ. He is the one who does all of the work. And as the Pharisee and the tax collector entered the temple, everyone there saw one thing. But Jesus saw another because Christ sees way more clearly than you or I do. I want to show you in the next few moments here what Christ sees in this passage that maybe we have missed. I told you I read something this week that, that kind of illuminated this for me. And I, how many times I have read this, and maybe you have as well, I was like, oh, why, why have I not seen this before? And this is, this is what it is. This, this is not some secret knowledge, nothing like that. This is what I've missed. Is when I have read this passage, I've seen, okay, the Pharisee's the bad guy, right? Like who would want to spend time with that guy? That dude is only talking about himself. The Pharisee's the bad guy. The tax collector's the good guy because he figures it out. And then he goes and lives happily ever after uh, in the mercy of Christ. And I think what we tend to do then is we just anticipate, oh, well, that guy figured it out. He got all cleaned up. He, he confessed his sin. He admitted his, he was wrong. Uh, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then the rest is, uh, is history. But I want to present this idea to you to illuminate not what we bring to the table, but to, to highlight even more and above what Christ brings to the table. So here's a, a thought experiment for you. Imagine this guy, this tax collector, 
Uh, you know, and today he'd be, uh, let's, let's imagine him as kind of a crooked IRS uh, employee, okay? And he comes to church this morning, and he hears this exact sermon, and he's brought to, he's just brought to tears, brought to repentance, and the man in this room stands up and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, okay? And this guy goes home, and he comes back a few weeks from now, and right where here in Lesseur, maybe you know this guy, small town, maybe you know who this is. And this guy comes back and there's no tangible, visual evidence that anything has changed in his life. What would be your feelings about that individual? Well, like, you made that big, you made that big proclamation of repentance of your sin and then nothing? I think, like, I don't know about you, I think I'd be frustrated, right? Or at least disheartened, like, oh no, the, didn't, the forgiveness didn't stick. Or like, oh no, like, maybe this guy didn't get it. He didn't get the message that your life is supposed to get cleaned up after an encounter with Jesus. I think what that does for us is that it puts a lot of expectations on what that guy brings to the table. I said this before, I'll say this again, that we think that we are supposed, that, that this whole forgiveness transaction is so that we would be a good return on investment for God. We've talked about this in, in, in talking about forgiveness before that, that God forgives us of our debt of sin, brings our account to zero, and that we think, because we've, we just are determined to have some part in this, that we then are the ones who are responsible for all the positive equity in that account, right? Like, God, God forgave my sins. It's a big job. It's a big deal. Huge thing. I would never have been able to do it. But now I need to, like, I need to show God that, that I'm worth it. And here's the problem in that. If the list of good things that the Pharisee named wasn't enough to earn God's mercy, then why would that list be any different for the tax collector? Like, think about it this way. If that guy came and, and, and the next week, you know, he, he's still doing the exact same thing. He's lying, cheating, stealing, and extorting. And he came back next week was God's mercy for naught? Did God waste his mercy on that guy? No, he didn't. You know why? Because in our souls, that's who we are too. And God doesn't waste his mercy on you. But also, like on the other side, if that guy, got, he goes and he gets all cleaned up. He, he, stops, he stops cheating and he gets a new job and, and, and he, he even donates some money to charity or something. I don't know, right? Like he's doing some good works in a week. Like you're, you're like being this. Maybe this is a Midwestern thing. I think we'd be a little skeptical of that guy. Like he came back to church and he's like, I'm all good now. Not, no one here would believe it. We said, well, like, oh, I don't know, you had a good week, man. Like, let's see, let's see how this shakes out. Have you ever been burned in a relationship before? And then that person is like, 
they're like, you know, they've, they've repented, they, you know, they've said they're sorry, and they're like trying so hard to show you that their forgiveness is real. That like doesn't happen overnight, right? At least that's how we, that's how we see it. You see, it's nothing that we do that earns our mercy for God, and that's the really, really good news this morning is that it's not even about your life getting cleaned up to make it worth it. God is not interested in your cleaned up life. He is not interested in, in your showing that it worked. God is just interested in you. He is merciful to you because he just loves you. He cleans you up, not because he has to, because he wants to, because he just loves you. The story here is not to turn the tax collector into the Pharisee, which is what we want to do. That's what our hearts want to do. No, the story here is that God is merciful to a sinner. That's what we are. God is merciful because he loves you. And so when we repent, it's not because we're trying to curry favor with God. It is us just stopping the whole charade, just stopping and taking a stinking breath and saying, I'm a sinner. God, be merciful to me. Because he loves you. So as we, as we wrap up this morning, this is what I want to, to encourage you with or Maybe that's a really pastoral word I want to challenge you with, I want to leave you with, is this. Is, is three ideas on, three quick steps on, on, on repentance. Because if it's not about what we bring to the table, it's all about what God brings to the table. And, and here's the first step. I think when we, I think when we get nervous about repenting our sins, I don't know everyone's faith story, um, but if maybe your faith story is that you in, had an encounter with Christ for the first time as an adult. I think that's some of us in the room, right? I think all of us in the room have things that we really regret in our past. And what can be a, a challenge to people when they repent is, is this, is that if, if here, here we are with God, and everything in my life, all the people I've, I've hurt, all the things that I've done, just the terrible sins I've committed, and I keep taking these steps away from God, what we get really worried about is that if I finally admit who I am, repent, is that God's going to make me walk back through all of that. Right? We get worried about like, oh, like, I've, if you, maybe you've said this or you've heard this. Oh, if only God knew what I had done, he wouldn't love me. Or, why I have been, I have been at this hurting people thing for too long. That's not what scripture tells us. What we know is this, is that the word repent means to turn around. So it's a small step. It's not even really a step. It's just admitting who you are. But as we repent, we turn around and we then realize is that God has been here the entire time. 
Scripture says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as you felt like you have, as you thought that you've been traveling further and further away from God, that God has been chasing after you the entire time. Right? The, the, the English author who talks about the, the hound of heaven has been on your tail the entire time. So then as we repent, God doesn't make us walk back through it. He is right there to embrace his loving arms around you with his love and his mercy and his forgiveness right here today. It is a short trip, the trip of repentance. Number two, when we think about this, is that we think that, that the trip of repentance is a trip from reality into the unknown. That if I give my life, if I finally admit who I am and I give my life to Christ, I don't know what's going to be on the other side. But the reality is, is that the trip of repentance is a trip from fiction into fact. We tell ourselves that we are not worthy of God's mercy and that I'm going to have to do all this stuff and that's just not true. That's just not what it says. But the truth is, is that you are a sinner and God has paid for your sins 100% on the cross. It is a trip from fiction into fact. The fact that you are valued and forgiven and loved all because of the cross of Christ. And here's the third one. I want to wrap up saying this to you. Is that you'll find out that, that the trip of of, of repentance, this trip of mercy, that on the other side that you'll probably actually kind of laugh out loud because of what you thought it was, that it was going to be this long journey. You're going to laugh in joy when you realize that God has been with you the entire time. It wasn't a long journey home. You've been there the whole time. That God loves you so much. And I know that is the most simple Sunday school truth, but we teach it that way because it is the ultimate truth that God loves you. He knows who you are. He knows that you're a sinner. (laughs) He's not like, he's not surprised when you admit it. (laughs) He knows who you are. And he loves you anyway. He is not looking for a return on investment. He is not interested in that because he is interested in you. God loves you so much. Would you pray with me? God, we... God, we, we pray right now, be merciful unto me, a sinner. God, allow us to repent our sins to you even now. As the, as the catechism says, the, the sins of thoughts, words, and deeds, things that we have done and things that we have left undone, we confess those to you now. As we read in 1 John at the beginning that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we humbly ask, would you cleanse us now?
God, would we know that you have forgiven us, that you have loved us, that you have wrapped your arms of love around each and every one of us, God. That we would stop kicking and fighting and trying to impress you. That we would just see you who you, for who you are. The loving one, the faithful one, and the merciful one. I pray this all in Jesus' holy, precious, and merciful name. Amen.